If you'll open your Bibles with me uh, to the book of Acts chapter 13 as we continue our series uh, looking at the beginnings of the church and all the Lord was doing in that time. Um, we're going to be, I'm going to read first. We're going to cover the whole chapter of Acts 13 today, good Lord willing. And I'm going to start just with the first three verses there. I want to read those aloud and then uh, pray over the word as we receive it. So Acts 13 and verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As we receive it this morning, I thank you, Lord, that you have exactly what we need uh, to encourage us, admonish us, build us up in our faith today. Holy Spirit, illuminate it to each heart as we have need. And I thank you, Father, that you open our eyes to the wonders of your word and incline our ear to your sayings. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew, will you help with those doors? They didn't click them on their way out. When you got kids in the house, you hear the kids in the house. And we're thankful to have them. Amen. There is life in the house. And I think they're happy to be back there. All right. So here in Acts 13, this is following the events that we covered last week when they're in Jerusalem. Um, and uh, remember, Peter was in jail. He was released angelically uh, and... Uh, Paul and Barnabas were there at the time as well. This is directly following that uh, Saul and Barnabas have returned uh, to Antioch in Syria. And that's a church there that Barnabas first went to because he heard about the move of the Lord. He came and it says he saw the grace of God at work there and he rejoiced and he encouraged the brethren. And so you see the church continuing to go forward there in Antioch. And it tells us a little bit about who was there. Some of the prophets and teachers that were there. And you see some diversity, which is encouraging. You see Barnabas, who was uh, a, a Jew, and then you see Simeon, who was called Niger. So we got folks of different complexions going to church together. That's always good. Then you've got Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch was the father of Herod Agrippa. He's the one that killed James. We read about him last week. Herod the Tetrarch was the one that beheaded John the Baptist. This guy, close friend of his, he's there in the church. And Saul, who persecuted the church. You got to think Saul had to give a testimony every time testimony time came around just so he could let people know I'm not that guy anymore. Amen. Right? Because, you know, people, if, they had, if it was their first time and they had heard about him and they see him sitting over there, they're like, oh, my gosh, it's a trap. This is happening. And so he probably had. to. But, but you just see the diversity there that the Lord brought together a people out of not a people. Right. He didn't bring them together just on common interest, although they may have had some things in common. What brought them together was being a part of the body of Christ. And it says that as they were worshiping the Lord, as they're serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have 
called them. It says, then they fasted, they got the word, and then they fasted and prayed about it, and then laid their hands on them and sent them out. So the Lord is calling them out to the missionary journey that he's going to put them on. And I've heard this called or, or, or this type of moment in the church, a gospel goodbye. How many times have we had people here with us, walking with us and, and serving with us? And then the Lord has spoken and moved them somewhere else. And they're still following him. They're still loving him. They love us. But now they're doing it in a different place. And when a church is healthy, you're going to have plenty of gospel goodbyes. I'm not talking about the folks backsliding. I'm not talking about the folks running off from the Lord. I'm talking about the folks that are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the Lord just changes their address. You, ha you have some sending there. It's like, I'd rather you be here with me. But the Lord is calling you to a different location. We're still a part of the same family. We still fellowship together. There's just a little bit of distance there. And, and you, you begin to get used to that, even though it always has a little bit of pinch in the old heart muscle. Right. Those gospel goodbyes. And you're seeing that he, he, he directs his body. He sends some and he also directs some to stay. And you see that active in the church even today. Now, when we get to this point in the text, you're going to see from this point in Acts on, there's a little bit of a switch from uh, Peter and that crew and what's going on in Jerusalem to Saul and Barnabas and the missionary journey that, that he would go on all the way through the end of the book. So they heard from the Lord. They, they tested that word. They fasted and prayed and then they sent them out to carry the message. And then we're going to pick up with that in verse four. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went to Seleucia and from there sailed to Cyprus, arriving in Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the pre-council Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the pre-council away from the faith. So they make it to their first destination and, and we begin to see how they would proceed. Anytime they went into a new area, they would always go to the synagogue first. They would always start at the synagogue, which was the Jewish center of town. It's where the people would gather at least every Sabbath day to worship, to be instructed, uh, to fellowship together. Kind of like the church house, but even had a more official capacity in the community. And they would go there first because that's where you're going to find the, the, the first and foremost seekers, the ones that are after God already, because they're bringing a message that's going to fit right on top of what they've already been learning. So they start with the synagogues and they're preaching. They would start with the Old Testament, which what they would be familiar with. This is the best first audience to hear the gospel. And we'll, we'll see that message here in just a moment. But that's the that's where they would start. And that's where we should start when we talk about any time we're in a new area. We need to know first, where's the body at? Where is the body of Christ in this area? Where are they? What are they doing here? We had a young man visit uh, with us for Bible study on Wednesday night who was originally from California, went to college in California. I think currently he's been in Boston and he was looking at taking a job here. He came for an interview. 
with one of the defense companies out in the area. And he said, I wanted to also find out uh, what the community was like. And I wanted to visit uh, a church and see what kind of community of faith was here before I make a decision to come here. I don't want to do it just on they're offering me this. They're offering me this over here. I want to be where God wants me to be. And the first thing he did, well, John, if you listen to this, we appreciate you. May the Lord bless you, keep you. He wanted to know where the body was in the community. Anytime we're in a new place, whether it's a new workplace, a new area, we need to find where is the body of Christ. Where are the other believers that I work with? Where are the other believers that I'm going to be around? Because that is the best first start for your community. So the other thing they run into as they're going to the synagogue and as they begin to minister is surprise, surprise, opposition. We've seen this over and over in the book of Acts. When the message is going forth, there are two reactions, repentance or resistance. And, and we can see as it continued to spread and as it continued to grow, so did the opposition. And here the opposition comes in the person of a, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus or, or the son of Joshua. And he is connected to the Roman ruler of the area. He's right there. He's like in his ear. Now, false prophet means somebody who is claiming to speak for God, but it's really speaking for themselves. They're not speaking for God and they're not hearing from God. They're, they're speaking for themselves and their means is to manipulate you to forward their own interests. Right. That's who this was. And it said his name was Elamos, which meant sorcerer. And we have here that the pre-council, the guy in charge, wanted to hear the message. He said, I've heard a little bit about this. I'd like to hear some more about it. Bring those men, bring Saul and Barnabas to me so that I can hear this message that they're proclaiming. But Elamas was opposed to that and tried to turn him away from the faith. I wonder why. I wonder why. He was afraid that he would be replaced. He has the ear of the pre-council. He has a sway in what goes on and what gets done. And he knows that if the truth is told, that his manipulations may come to light, that he will come to nothing. Right. When when someone has been lying, the last thing they want is for the truth to be told. That's the last thing they want. So. We run across before this next thing happens with Elamos, we run across something interesting in verse nine. It says, but Saul also called Paul. Saul also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elamos. Now, we're going to stop right here. Saul also called Paul. Now, just being real honest, for a long time, I thought that when Saul was converted, right, we talked about his conversion, road to Damascus, big, mighty, powerful event, that God changed his name from Saul to Paul. Did anybody else ever think that? Yeah, I know we, we talked about a few, we, we talked about that. That's not what happened. We just got that somewhere. I think it's been preached, it's been taught, it's not in the scripture. What you just saw right there is the hinge point from where he goes from being called in the book of Acts, Saul, to being called Paul. And he was converted several chapters ago. This is multiple years later, but that's what I thought. And, and that preaches really, really well. But in fact, he had two different names. Saul is a Hebrew name. 
And Paul is a Roman and or Greek name that was likely given to him at birth by his parents. Likely given to him all the way back at his birth. But even if it wasn't, it's just a difference in translation. When we went to Honduras, they call Kelly, Kelly. Stephen in Spanish is Esteban. That's pretty close. It sounded like they were saying Stephen. Our friend, Brother James, he goes down to Honduras. Guess what they call him? Santiago. <laughs> it's completely different. The Spanish translation for James is Santiago. And this is what you run into here with Paul. It's just a different translation of his name. But I will tell you something interesting about it. Saul in Hebrew means desired. You know how all names have meanings? Well, Saul in Hebrew means desired. Paul, on the other hand, means little or small. And so I think it's so interesting that the, that the hinge point on his name is here when he's going to the Gentiles, number one, which they would have known him as Paul. You know, just like James goes down there, he's known as Santiago. But his parents gave him these names and, and he was known as Saul for this long. And it was de desired like you would think this is the life that you would desire. He was one of the upper ups in the hierarchy there. We even think he was part of the Sanhedrin, part of the ruling body. He was one of the who's who in Jerusalem. But then when he begins his real ministry, his real evangelism, his real missionary work, they call him little. I've learned to be small. I, I must decrease so that he can increase. Kind of, kind of, I mean, if you want to preach something, let's preach that. Cause that's really neat. Cause God seeded that even at his likely again at his birth when his parents named him that. But it's at this point in the book of Acts that Luke shifts from calling him Saul to calling him Paul. And again, in his mission to the Gentile world, that's how they would have referenced him. And that's probably how Luke himself, the writer of Acts, knew him personally. So just interesting little thing there. Did God change it? No, it wasn't like that. But it's still a very special moment in Scripture when he, you know, Saul also called Paul. So Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, still stares straight at Elamas, who is trying to oppose them, moving into the area, trying to continue to deceive the pre-council. And he says to him, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what had happened, the pre-council believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So what had held power in the area held power no longer. What had held sway with the leadership in the area and over his heart and mind held sway no longer. When the kingdom advances, it overcomes the enemy. The Lord reigns. What the enemy worked to oppose ended up coming about. Elamah said, I don't want them to preach the gospel here. Guess what? The gospel went forward. 
The liars don't want you to hear the truth, lest their lies be revealed. So the opposition comes up anytime the message is preached. But Paul sees it, calls it like it is, speaks with authority, speaks very plainly too, doesn't he? But look at everything he said to him. You may be thinking, I thought it said we weren't supposed to judge people. <laughs> Elamos got straight judged, completely judged. Because what he was doing was of darkness and not of light. And Paul calls him out on it. Jesus said it's better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and you thrown into the depths of the sea than to hinder one of these little ones who's hearing the gospel. Than for you to prevent them from hearing the gospel. Jesus took that serious. Paul took it serious. As well. And you see the Lord affirm that as, as the gospel's going forth here in this area. And the pre-council saw and believed. It didn't say he believed because of what he saw. It says he saw and believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What is this teaching? What is this message that he Heard. I'm glad you asked because we're going to get an example right here next in the text. I know this is a little bit more teaching today. I hope you're hanging on because there's some really, really good stuff coming because you're I, I, I continue to be astonished by the same message that this pre-council was astonished by. But in verse 13, we pick up with where they go next. And then that's where we see the message it says Paul and his companions where he's got Barnabas and John Mark with him set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. There was a lot of Antiochs, which this can get confusing. I looked it up. There's several Antiochs. But they reached the different Antioch, Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went where? To the synagogue. Why? Because that's what they did when they arrived in a new area. And they sat down. So they go to church in the community, essentially. After reading the law and the prophets, the leader of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. So they go to the synagogue first and they're, they're guys from out of town. So they come and sit down. Word might have even gotten around that they were originally from Jerusalem. That would have been a big deal. To have people from Jerusalem that were there that could might speak in encouragement. They're probably a little bit too about how they how they were dressed. They were able to be identified. You know, th these are guys from the big city. And he said, hey, if y'all have got anything to share, you know, that'd be great if you can encourage us. And oh boy, did Paul have something to say. In verse 16, Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, see, he did that, too. So don't get mad at me if I talk with my hands. Motion with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. So he identifies the audience. Who is this to? These are to those that have the same belief that, as I have had that, that have been seeking after God. He calls to them. He gathers their attention. Verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. 
This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out my will. So he calls the Israelites brothers. The God of this people has been at work in you and for you since the beginning. If you look back through there, I underlined everything that it says that God did. God, God chose our ancestors. God made the people prosper. God led them out with a mighty arm. God put up with them. God gave them the land. God gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. When they asked for a king, God gave them Saul. And then after removing him, you see all that God is doing and working in their lives up to this point when it says he raised up David as king. Everything that he did. One thing that I've learned reading through this, because we talk about grace. We talk about grace all the time and we act like it just came in right here in the New Testament. That grace just arrived in the New Testament. But I believe what Paul is preaching to them is you have always been in a relationship of grace. You're standing right now as my brothers and fellow Israelites is a standing based on the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, what God did for you, though you didn't deserve it. And that reminded me of what I had read in the book of Deuteronomy. And I won't be back there long, but in Deuteronomy chapter nine, Deuteronomy chapter nine, Moses is speaking to the people that Moses isn't going into the promised land with them. They're going in without him. He's giving them like a big, long VBS before they go in, telling them what to remember, what not to forget. And in Deuteronomy chapter nine and verse five, it says, you are not going to take possession of their land because of your righteousness or your integrity. Instead, the Lord, your God will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness in order to fulfill the promise. He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, he says, you're going in, but don't think you're getting it because of your righteousness or your integrity. He says, understand that the Lord, your God is not giving you this land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff necked people. That's verse six. He's saying he's not giving it to you because you're good. He's giving it to you because he is good. He's not being gracious towards you because you deserve it. Him being gracious is that you don't deserve it. These are the people that it said he put up with in the wilderness, that, that he uh, was steadfast with, though they continued to be rebellious. And so I believe what Paul is teaching them here and what we can rest in today is that it's always been a relationship of grace. It started out that way and it's about to be expanded more than they could ever imagine. Paul's reminding them, I hope y'all haven't forgot that it's always been about grace. He called Abraham out of nowhere from nothing 
to be a family of God, a man who was uh, without child, whose wife was barren so that he could have a people unto himself. And the grace of that moment is about to has continued to be expanded and will soon be. He'll reveal to them in Christ be expanded all the more. It's always been a relationship of grace, grace as they understood it in the Old Testament. And again, their viewpoint of it, their perspective is about to be expanded further than they could ever imagine. He said that one of the things God did was when the people asked for a king, he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. And we're talking about grace. I really want you to see this. Remember who remembers what the name Saul means? Desired. It means desired. They asked for a king. They said, we want a king like the other nations. We want to be like everybody else. And he gave them what they asked for. He gave them their, he let them experience their desires. And if you know that story with Saul, there were some things that went good, but overall it wasn't a good relationship. And then it says he removed him and he replaced him with David. Do you know what David's name means? It means beloved. It means beloved. And Paul is about to reveal to them, God has given you what you thought that you wanted. You, you, you sought after all your desires, what you thought you were interested in, what you thought would, would make you happy, what you thought would fulfill you. And I let you experience that. And then I gave you my beloved. I gave you my beloved. That is the relationship of grace that they had been walking in that was about to just be exploded. And that's what we experienced. We walked out in that world. We, we got to chase after the things that we thought would make us happy, that we thought would fulfill us, that we thought would put us to right. And it didn't. Saul didn't satisfy the people. He gave us his beloved. He gave us what would satisfy us. What we thought was right didn't. What he knew was right is what he gave to us graciously. Saul was a, was a king of their choosing. They wanted a king like the nations had. They wanted to prosper like the world had prospered. They wanted to feel the comfort and security that they thought the other nations were feeling. But David was a king after God's choosing. It was God's choice. Look at verse 23. From this man's descendants, David's descendants, as he promised... God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. He always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. He made a promise to David. He said, you're going to have a son that is going to rule and reign for forever. And everybody thought it was Solomon. And he did good until he got old. And then he got cranky. Read Ecclesiastes. But one came that was promised because God always keeps his promises. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not the one, but after, but one is coming after me and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his 
feet. John said, I'm just telling you to repent of your sins. I'm just coming to make you conscious that you're not right before the Lord like you think you're right before the Lord. But one is coming who is going to be able to bring you into righteousness and right standing with the Father. Verse 26. I tell you, it's going to be a lot of reading. But this is so good. This is a great sermon. One of the best. He says, brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. They have fulfilled their words by condemning him. He's talking about Jesus. He said he came to his own and his own didn't receive him, wouldn't receive him. Him. He said, even though they heard the, the, the scripture read every Sabbath day, they still missed it. Let it not be said of us. Verse 28, though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. And when they carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb from the dead. Another thing God did, the biggest one. And he appeared for many days to those who had came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. He's saying what, what, what we were after the whole time finds its complete and total fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He's like the fulfillment we've been looking for is in Jesus Christ. We've known God. We've known his grace. And, and what he gave us in Jesus Christ was the perfect fulfillment of the promise that he made to David. He said, you're my son. It's a day I have become your father. And he goes on as to his raising from the dead, never to return to decay. He has spoken. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. He was like, y'all talk so much about David and you love David so much. And he did a lot. And that was awesome. But he was buried after he died and his body's still there. The one that came after him, the fulfillment of the promise, the better David lives today. Amen. And that's what he's telling them. In verse 38 and 39, this is so big. This would have been huge to them. And I hope, I hope you see how grand it is for us today. He said, therefore, because of all the things I just said, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses in Christ, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed and everyone who believes is justified. Justified, you know, that people say the little phrase, it's just as if I'd never sinned. It means you take the wrong off of something. I can ask you, hey, why did you why did you do that? 
What you did was wrong. And you could explain it to me. Like, well, I understand. Probably think it was wrong. But let me give you this explanation. And you'll see that it actually was what? Justified. I was justified in doing or taking the wrong off of it. That's what he's saying is available to us. He's like, we've had this wrong on us and we haven't been able to shake it. Even following the law and all the instructions, we tried to hold it as perfectly as we could and it couldn't make us right. It couldn't bring us to the land that we wanted to be and it couldn't bring us to the point where we wanted to be. But he says, everyone who believes in Jesus is justified through him from even the things that the law of Moses couldn't cleanse us of. And then he tells them, beware of what is said in the prophets so that it doesn't happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. He's saying, don't let this be you. He said, it's been said in the scripture, there's going to be some that scoff and marvel and vanish away. Because they don't recognize and believe the work that's being done in their day, even if somebody explains it to them. He's saying, don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Don't miss this. Don't overlook this. Verse 42, as they're leaving, this is still at church. He told them all that when they said, you got any encouragement to share from like the big city? Knocked it out of the park. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters again the following Sabbath. They wanted him to come back next week. We want to hear more about this. We need to continue to hear more about this. This isn't a message that we get one time and we are settled and straight, is it? Mm -mm. That's not how our hearts work. Because we're real quick to want to believe a lie on Monday. Or Tuesday, we have to continue to get uh, full of the message, reapplied over and over, washed by the gospel to remember who he is, who we are and what he has done to bring us together. I said, come back next week. And after the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to what? Continue in the grace of God. To continue in the grace of God. Again, this is, it's always been a relationship of grace. They're encouraging them to continue in that. To take what you've heard, put it into what you already knew, and continue to walk in it from here on out. And that's a big part of the coming back next week, right? And then, of course, just like before, the following Sabbath, the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. This seems like it's going great. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Why? Because you had already experienced grace up to this point. It was necessary for the full revelation to be communicated to you because of where you already were. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. That's a quote from the book of Isaiah. He said, y'all have heard the message. Some of them received it. Not all of them did. He's like, you've heard the message and you've rejected it and you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. That's a powerful verse right there. 
that they had judged themselves as not needing the message of grace that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. They judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. And so because of that, it's now going to those who were outside, going to the Gentiles. And when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. All the peoples that God had said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. I'm going to go to the highways and the byways. I'm going to go to the people that were on the outside and they will believe. But the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles hear about this, those who were on the outside, because there were people who weren't Jewish, but would hang around the synagogue and hear and listen and try to learn more about the Lord. And then they hear that he had already been talking about them back in the book of Isaiah. He had been referring to them that a light was going to shine on them and they would be able to see clearly they were filled with joy. And we see the opposition and uh, the rejection of the message come up. But look, they gave us an example here. They followed the example of Jesus here. What did they do? They shook the dust of the town off their feet. They shook the dust of the town off their feet and they went to the next place. When you preach the message, you're going to encounter rejection. Don't wear it with you from there on. Don't carry the rejection with you. Rejection hurts. It hurts a lot. Shake it off and go on to the next place. Shake it off and go on to the next place. And remember that today's rejectors may become tomorrow's acceptors. Saul, Paul is a great example of that. He rejected it to the point of committing violence against those who believe. And he became one who accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the disciples, the learners, were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit or walking in the very breath of God. Amen. So looking back through this, and I know we're almost done closing our chapter today. The church is diverse. It is. It's supposed to be. It's a people out of not a people. And we saw here that they were seeking God in the expansion of his kingdom and they were listening when he spoke. And when he spoke, they reacted. They reacted and they trusted him. They blessed those that he said needed to be sent out and they sent them out. And then the ones that needed to stay, stay so that the message would continue in both places. And we saw their process. They would go to where the followers were and they would start there. Again, that's what we, when we start out there in the community, we want to start with the people that are closest to the believers. And if they're already believing, encourage them. If they're right there, that's where we want to start. And then move out from there on to the outsiders. And we can expect opposition to the message. There are, it always has been. It will be until the, until the last day there will be opposition to the message. There will be opposition to your life as a believer your faith in Christ, there will be opposition because it's an indictment in itself to how they think and how they're living. 
your very existence, your very faith in God is an indictment against them and they can feel it. And so they rage against it. Expect opposition, but be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. He has overcome the world. Don't forsake the message because there will be those who are astonished by the teaching of the Lord who will hear it and receive it and be astonished by the message. What? That it's always been grace. It's never been about what I could do for him. It's always been about what he's already been doing for me. What he has been doing for me, what he is doing for me and what he will do through me by his grace in the future. Remember thinking about Deuteronomy 9. They said, y'all aren't going into the land because you're good. You're going into the land because God himself is good. And he made a promise and he always keeps his promises, even though y'all are just as stubborn as you can be. You're just as stiff necked and as stubborn as you can be. He is still leading you along graciously. They wanted a king. They wanted to see their own desires fulfilled. And they got to experience that and it didn't go well. But then he gave them his beloved. They gave, he gave them his beloved. God did that. And he did the same thing for us. He did the same thing for us. And then the message, let it be known, brothers and sisters, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is now being proclaimed to you. The ability to be justified. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. All your good works could never cleanse your heart. But the faith in Jesus Christ cleanses our heart. And they wanted him to come back next week. They wanted to keep here and they wanted to keep having the gospel applied to their heart and in their mind, the washing of the word so that they could grow and mature. And we need to take heart in that as well. See, we want some kind of special revelation all the time, don't we? Like we want some type of big grand experience. We want the earth to shake and we want, you know, to wake up in the middle of the night and our dresser be on fire and God be talking to us out of it. It's what we want. You want something that you want something amazing and, and, and we'll seek after like, like somebody's got. Oh, this is a hidden truth that has been hidden away for so long. Look, even things that you haven't noticed yet still point back to the general truth of the message of the gospel. There is nothing new under the sun. We don't chase that. What we, what, what we should continue to seek after is what is true. What has always been true. What always will be true. And the truth of it is there are no quick fixes in our life. We know that, right? We know that. You know, we, we, we try all the fad things, whether it's diet, get in shape, do this, learn, learn a new language. In 24 hours, you can learn a new language. No, you can't. You can't. How do you do it over and over repetition, spending the time, putting in the hours, spending time with whatever it is that you're wanting to grow in? That's what it takes. And it's over and over just saying the same thing over and over, trying to do it in a little bit creative ways, maybe come at it a little bit different. But it's the same truth over and over and over and over and over again, because that's what we need, because our heart wants to just bend and go the other way. Soon as we're not paying attention, as soon as we're not holding up, our heart goes, yeah, but maybe this. No, that's not the truth. This is the truth. And it's just a reminder that what we need is that consistent application and rejoicing in the truth of who he is and what he's done and how beautiful and astonishing the message of Jesus is.
how beautiful it is. So we keep coming back. We keep hearing just like they wanted to. And we know that when there's opposition, which is what they ran into, we have the strength to overcome. We have the strength through the truth, through the grace that's given us to endure and to overcome. And then you see the word of God continuing to spread. The word of God continues to spread throughout the area and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. We look for the body. Where's the body? Where's the body of Christ? What are they doing? And we build up there first and then we go out to everybody else. We come in here to be built up in our faith so that we can go out and minister to others. And we're going to be rejected. It's going to be a regular occurrence. That's why Jesus gave instruction for how to handle it. When it happens, he's like, just shake it off. Just shake the dust off your feet, leave it with them and go on to the next place. Don't wear it uh, like it belongs to you. Because again, today's rejecter may be tomorrow's receiver. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message. Thank you that when we were seeking about after our own desires, God, when we were when we were rebelling against you just with our very breath because of the things we were seeking after that had nothing to do with you. We wanted your stuff to use for our own means and our own enjoyment in our own way. And Father, even though we were chasing our own desires, you brought us your beloved. You brought us graciously and according to your promise, salvation. To all who would believe, we can be justified, our sins forgiven and made righteous in your sight and introduced into relationship with you. God, the message continues to astonish us. That we wouldn't ever lose sight of it, that we never put too much stock in our own observances and our own activities and what we can do and how how we can build it up. God, but we look to you first and always. And I think as we keep coming back and as we keep having the gospel applied to our hearts, you grow us, you mature us, you sanctify us in the faith and you help us to walk uprightly in this world, though it be dark, that your light still shines. And I thank you for the message. I thank you for the message that we have received, that we have believed in, that we'll be like those that went out in joy in the Holy Spirit. Back to where they were, to their activities, that, that whole rest of the week to come back again and worship together as the body of Christ. And I thank you that your kingdom's advancing, that the darkness would oppose it, you've overcome the world, and that we'll see it happen in the name of Jesus. As we go out today, I thank you, Lord, that we go in peace and unity together with one another. Lord, those that are out from us today in uh, sickness or weakness, we, we pray for their healing, for their strength and their wholeness in Jesus' name. And Lord, those that are traveling, bring them home safely to us, rested, refreshed, and ready, ready to take on a new week. And Lord, I thank you that as our days are, so our strength will be in and from you because your grace is sufficient for us your strength made perfect in our weakness and lord i thank you for how much we get to enjoy you lord i can't imagine how much better it's going to be on the on the other side when it's so so good already here but that's just how good you are we love you and we thank you so much in jesus name